0: The kids, you guys can go upstairs. So run and beat the teachers. I don't have to tell them that, they do it anyway. I want you to know if you're up there in the way, get out of the way. Some of those kids will body check you, and you have no hope. Our boys did really good yesterday in wrestling. How how many of our guys placed, Dustin? Quite a few, right? A bunch placed. Bunch of them placed. They all placed, not all of them won. So, but our wrestling program's doing great. Your boys are doing awesome. Love them to death. But turn your Bibles. Romans chapter 12 today. We're going to talk. I've got 11 points. Yeah, none of y'all looked happy about that. 11 points, and we're going to talk about 11 rules for relationships. This I know, we have rules today. I love, I, I hate rules. I shouldn't say I love, I hate rules. When I was at college, I was a dorm supervisor, or RA as it's called, at school, and I was that way for three years, and that being said, I was in charge of making sure rules were enforced in the dorm, and that always was a difficult thing some days, because a lot of times there's rules that don't make sense, or there's people that you'd rather not have in the dorm, and they really don't like the rules at all, but I was, I was around rules quite a bit. And I was grateful for some of the rules, and some of the rules I could care less about. But overall, the Bible gives us several rules, and we're going to look at 11 of them today, on rules for relationships. Now, as a show of hands, I think I've asked this before. How many people in here consider yourselves to be extroverts? You love talking to people, raise your hand. Yeah, I can, I can see that. How many of you would say you're more of an introvert? Raise your hand. Prefer, yeah, I can see that. I was talking to someone, I'm not going to point them out because they are an introvert. But during the handshaking time, they talked about how this is really not my favorite time. of, the, of the, I talk to my people and I, I'm good. And I am the opposite. I'm like, I've got people to see over here, over here, over here, over here. I haven't said hi to that person in a while. Let's go talk up a storm. My brother is the complete opposite. And we're different in a lot of ways. When I was a kid, I am, I am not an extremely competitive person. I never really have been. I don't find a whole lot of value in being competitive just because I was, number one, not the most effective person at any kind of competitive thing. I was not the person you'd pick first on your team. But when we were playing sports when we were kids, Tyler is the epitome of competitive, competitive. If there's a goal and he's got to win, he will murder someone to get to that goal. Normally, that was me in the way. But as a kid, I remember saying this to my brother, and this is going to, how many of you consider yourself to be competitive? This is going to probably give you guys hives when I say this. My favorite thing in the world to say to Tyler, because number one, it aggravated him, but number number two, I felt it was real, was it's not about winning, it's about having fun and making friends. (laughs) Yeah, he's over here freaking out right now. That was my philosophy growing up when it came to sports and stuff. I didn't mind the sports, but I was there to meet new people, to make new relationships, to get more friends, and that's what I wanted to do. And that was my focus on relationships. Now, we as human beings are very relational beings. We desire connection and familiarity with other people. Some people in here desire connection with a, mul- a multiplicity of people. Other people... Co- Prefer to have maybe three or four close people, and we're good. But anyways, we are, we, are, we, are, we are naturally relational beings. And in this passage, Paul gives us 11 rules for relationships. These relationships get into conflict, and we see stuff happen. When I was in school, my, in between my junior and senior year, I stayed out in California and worked for one of our teachers. And when they did that in that time there at West Coast, you lived in a dorm. They took all the guys who were staying over the summer. There was maybe only about 20 to 30, and they put them all into one dorm, and that's where you lived. You paid a small rent for your food and a place to stay. And I was staying in what was called Heritage One was the dorm. It was a long, it looked like a modular-type building. And my room was at the very last room on the end, and I shared it with a kid named David. David worked for the church as well. And David worked probably 60 hours a week between the church and another job, and I never saw him much, and he was a clean guy. He was quiet to himself, and we made great roommates because we just didn't talk to one another, and I was working a stressful job and thrilled with it. Well, one time in August, it was the summer was coming to a close. i had finished some big events there on campus, and in August, I had gotten a week off to come home, and I came home, and before I did, I had made sure my room was, was spotless. I liked my stuff clean and put together, and I remember I had washed all my bedding and made my bed nice and clean, and I would covered up, and I, I was ready to you know. I knew when I was coming home, it was going to be fine when I got back to the dorm. In the dorm, there stayed a kid from Tennessee. I'm going to call his name Alan. Alan's doing great now. Um, he almost didn't make it through this story, but Alan's doing great now. He lives in Tennessee, has two kids, married. It's awesome, but Alan was in the room uh, about six rooms down, and Alan was from a rough home and kind of a rough kid who was coming there to test it out for a year and he had come a couple, about a month early before school and I had come home for vacation, go, went back to school, drove my car from the airport back to campus about an hour and a half away and pulled in. It was probably 11, 11 12 o'clock at night. It was late and I thought my bed's ready for me, got work in the morning. I'm going to go in, get some sleep and be fine. And I walk in And Alan had moved himself into my bed. I no joke. My bedding. He didn't take my stuff off. He had moved into my bed because they had moved another kid into my room that he was friends with. Our relationship had conflict at that point. (laughs) We ended up becoming roommates the next semester. I don't know why the deans did that, but they made us roommates and we actually got pretty close. And he's doing a lot better and I'm doing fine. And he didn't he didn't he didn't die. So that that was the point. But our relationship had conflict. And with every relationship in your life, there's there's bound to be conflict in it. Whether it's your relationship between a husband and a wife or a a child and a parent or a co-worker or a a boss or a pastor or a church family member. There's always relationships and there's constantly conflict. And in Romans chapter 12, Paul gives us these these certain rules. Let's look at verse 1 real quick. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I beseech you, therefore, when you look at the book of Romans, you have to understand that there are five major therefore statements in the book. The first one is found in Romans 328 and the previous three chapters from this verse lay lay a groundwork for what we are as sinners. Everyone's a sinner, no matter your upbringing, religion, finances, skin color. Every person on this planet is guilty of being a sinner. But Romans 3 in verse 28 says, therefore, again, there's that word. Always ask, why is therefore therefore? What is therefore therefore? Okay, always remember that question. What is it therefore? Therefore, we conclude, because of this, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So we see that we are sinners, but the only way we are justified is by faith in Jesus Christ. Another one is in Romans 5.1. So we see that we're justified by faith, but also be salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Christ's sacrifice, we now have a peaceful relationship with God the Father. Later on in, verse, in this chapter, in verse 18, Romans 5.18, this is probably one of the greatest verses on salvation, and it says this, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. By the offense of one, by the offense of Adam, that one man, judgment came upon all. Because of Adam's sin, we were all born sinners. Even so, by the righteousness of one, that being Jesus Christ, The free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. So we see that, hey, we're all sinners. Jesus Christ died for us. Because Adam sinned, we are guilty, but Jesus Christ paid the price. And then in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, this is our eternal security. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And that's a phenomenal verse. Because of what Jesus Christ did, we are no longer found guilty. We are no longer looked at as being sin-torn and broken. We are restored, bought, purchased, and saved by the blood of Christ. Then after these 11 chapters we see of doctrine, this thesis of salvation, justification, and sanctification, Paul makes this therefore statement that we need to see, and it's this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Paul here is begging the church to do what he's going to say in the following verses because of what Jesus did for them. And that's our, that should be our goal as Christians. Anything I do is because Jesus Christ did it for me. So let's look at these real quick. Number one, we have to be surrendered to Christ. You have to be surrendered to Christ. Look at verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is important. If you're going to listen to one thing today, this is it. The most important relationship you've got to work on in 2023 is your relationship with him. Here's why. You've got to get the vertical right before you can worry about the horizontal. Husband wife, if you're in here and you're like, we've been struggling with our marriage for the past few years, we've been struggling recently to just get along and love one another, and we don't know what the problem is. Well, how's your relationship with God? Because trust me, you get that right, this is going to work itself out fine. And because of what Jesus did, we should be surrendered to him. Because of what he offers, we need to be willing to give up stuff for him. Mark 14, 32 says, and this is Jesus Christ in the garden of Gethsemane. This is hours before he's to die on the cross. And there came to they came to a place which was called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy, And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. You see, Jesus Christ was completely surrendered to what God had for him. Jesus Christ was surrendered to die for one another, for each and every one of us. He didn't have to be there, but he chose to be there. He didn't have to die on the cross, but he chose to be on the cross. We should be surrendered to what he has for us, whether in our relationships or whether in our service to him, we should be surrendered to what he has for us. The word sacrifice here Carries the same idea of Jesus offering himself upon the cross for you and me. You see, he willingly surrendered for you and for me. He willingly took our punishment for you and for me. And we should be willing to surrender to whatever he has for us. So rule number one, be surrendered to Christ. Rule number two, be sober. I'll start with S, by the way, if you need. I like like alliteration, but be sober about your importance. Look at verse three. For I say. Through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. This word soberly in verse 3 carries the idea of being realistic or sensible about who you are. You see, pride is a divider. Pride is one of the greatest dividers in your relationships. If you want to see relationships fail, start looking at yourself as something bigger than what you actually are. Your relationship will fail when you decide to focus more on building yourself up instead of knowing who you actually are. Proverbs 13 10 says only by pride cometh contention. Only by pride cometh contention. Pride has a way of sneaking in quietly and then blowing up from the inside. You see, sometimes we just need to give up our our personal rights of what we think we're owed. We need to quit focusing on what we think we're entitled to and instead focus on what God has given to you. Husbands, your wife will love you a lot more if you stop thinking that you're all that. (laughs) And it goes vice versa. Here's a tip. If you're sitting in here and you're like, my spouse could really use this. You're probably the one that needs this verse more. We need to think realistically about who we are. Pride has this way of sneaking in and quietly blowing things up from the inside. You see, work will manage without you. Your house will be standing if you're not there. Your marriage needs you to be humble instead of trying to control everything. We get to this point where we think nothing can stand without me being there. I I have to be involved. I have to be there. I have to to worry about it. I have to stress about it. I have to to be concerned about every little detail. It's going to be fine. God's got it. Be surrendered. Be sober. Number three, be satisfied about your function. Be satisfied about your function. Look at verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one, are one body in Christ, and every one member one of another. Having then gifts, differing according to the prophecy that is given to us, to the grace given to us, whether it be prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. You see, not only do we have to understand that we we can be replaced, we have to think soberly, we also have to remember that we have a very specific role to fulfill. This passage is talking to a local church, and every person in here has a role to fulfill in the local church. We all have certain skill sets and talents and gifts that God's given to us. And it does no one good you stressing that you wish you had someone else's gift. (laughs) I'm that way. I wish I was a lot more athletic than I actually am. My hand-eye coordination is zero. It's not good. I mean, whether it's baseball, I I broke a tooth because I couldn't catch a cup. Yeah, ask Tyler about that story. But I wish I was more athletic. I wish I was gifted more musically. And I have all these desires, but I I know this. God's not given me that, so why should I worry about fulfilling one of those roles? God's given me gifts to fulfill in a role that he's designed for me. God has given gifts to everyone, and we are supposed to use those to further his word. But when we decide to step over that line, get out of our lane, and meddle in God's plan, conflict will arise. Psalm 139.4 says, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. God's made you the way he's made you for a reason. Stop worrying about being like someone else. If you're sitting here and you're like, I wish I was more outgoing. I, just, I, I have a hard time with people. God knows that. You know, I, I, wish I, I wish I could do more physically, but I, I just can't. God knows that. I wish I could devote more time to something, but I'm just so busy with work and my family. God knows that. He's designed it to be that way. Be satisfied with where he has you. Next, be sincere in your relationships. Look at verse 9. Be sincere in your relationships. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. That word dissimulation means hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. If you want to influence someone, be sincere. If you want to help someone, be transparent. Stop being the type of person that looks for what they can get out of someone else and instead be the type of person that people want to be around. We know people like this in our lives. You know people like this in your life where they're only friends with you because they think they can get something from you. You ever known someone like that? Like, "Ah, this person's super nice to me, but I feel like they just, they want something more. This person's helping me, but I know I'm going to owe them after this, and they're going to bring that up. 1 Peter 1.22 says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth of the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. That should be our goal as a church. I should love each and every person in here because it's because not of what they can get for me not what i think they can offer me not for the status i think they they can give me but because it's what god has told us to do this is why we welcome anyone and everyone here we should never get to a point where we're like well only certain types of people can can come to church or man we really don't want that type of person sitting next to us in church we need to be be sincere Stop doing things for what you might be able to get or obtain. Fake motives lead to false relationships. Challenge yourself this week. Here's your challenge for this week. Do something for someone with absolutely no motive or goal to get something back. God's going to give you a plethora of opportunities this week. You say, God, I want to help someone just for the fact that I love them and I want to be there for them. God's going to give you more opportunities this week than you think. Be sincere in your relationship. Next, be submissive to others. Be submissive to others. Look at verse 10 and then verse 16. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Be of the same mind, verse 16 says, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. That word in verse 10 that says preferring one another means to try to outdo the other person in valuing them. Value those around you more than you value yourself. Be submissive to let someone else get ahead this week. Be submissive to letting someone else, if you can do something to help their week get better, do it. It requires humility. Be the first person to honor the other one in a relationship. Husband and wives, be the the spouse that you need to be in the morning to wake up and honor your spouse more than they're honoring you. Try to outdo one another. Kids, honor your parents more tomorrow than you ever have. Strive to be better at it. This word honor carries the idea of both respect but also treasuring like something value. We should be showing those around us how much we treasure or value them. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. Philippians 2 let, 3 Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than himself. 1 Peter 4 9 Use hospitality one to another without. Grudging. How many parents have ever told your kid to do something and they go do it, but they throw a fit while doing it? It's like, fine, I'm going to mow the lawn, but it's going to be as crooked as you can find. I'm going to have stripes going every which direction. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be kind, tender-hearted, without grudging. The Bible says, Galatians five thirteen For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. You only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but love but by love serve one another. Hebrews 10, 24, we often forget the latter parts of this verse, but let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Husbands, treasure your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Kids, value your parents. Throw aside your thoughts of how you think you should be treated and start treating others the way you'd like to be treated. Dr. Shetler, when we were taking classes with him, he had this thing on dating. He said, instead of trying to find the right one, be the right one, and that person will come to you. Husband and wife, instead of nitpicking at the other for not being the spouse they should, be the kind of spouse they should be. Don't be petty and throw it back at them. Kids, if you think your parents are nagging you and constantly bringing stuff up and telling you to do stuff, Value them because there's people in this room who don't have their parents anymore that wish they had them there. There's things I do as an adult now that I I go to my parents and say, hey, what do I need to do? I thought this grown-up thing of being able to make my own decisions was a great idea. It's not. I'm going to go back to the basement. It's a lot easier. But be submissive to one another. Next, be servant-hearted to everyone. Be servant-hearted to everyone. Look at verse 11. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. What type of Christian showcases Jesus more than the one that serves? Someone said, if someone ever said, um, someone ever says, what would Jesus do? Just remind them that flipping tables and whipping people's in the realm of possibilities. It's not the type of person we should be. You see, Jesus Christ served even at the very end. John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, And then he was come from God and went to God. He riseth from supper, laid aside his garments, and took his towel, girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Jesus, just a few short hours from before suffering one of the most gruesome deaths, knowing that a man in his presence would be the one responsible for bringing him there. He didn't go out and do something fun. He didn't get up and and beat the guy like I think a lot of us would like to. He got up, humbled himself, and washed feet. See, the Christian that deserves glory is the one that grabs the bottom rung of the ladder. Sometimes all we need to do in our life to keep conflict from arising is keep our mouths shut and just wash feet. An author once said Christianity enhanced the notion of political and social accountability by providing a new model, and that is of servant leadership. In ancient times, no one would have dreamed of considering political leaders considering political leaders anyone's servant. The job of the leader was to lead, but Christ invented the notion that the way to lead is by serving the needs of others, especially those who are most needy. You want to remove conflict from your relationship? Serve fervently the other person. Don't look to be the leader in the relationship. Start serving that person. Be servant-hearted to everyone. Number or Next, be steadfast during trials. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Here's my, I guess, commentary on this verse. Keep on keeping on. You know, life throws a lot of roadblocks at us. Whether it be a a tragedy in the family or a health crisis, financial problems, whatever it is, roadblocks are thrown at us. But this term rejoicing in hope means we have a bold confidence to keep moving forward. This patient in tribulation means we're not moved because of the problem. And continue an instant in prayer as you were praying before. Keep praying now. Trials are meant to test our resolve for God. They are there to show us how weak we are and how strong God is. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul's talking about the thorn in his flesh. He talked about how, hey, I I saw these things that God God let me see. I got to experience all these things. But because I didn't, I shouldn't be exalted above measure. God gave me a thorn in the flesh. And in that passage, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. You see, the problem in your life is probably the biggest thing God's going to use to reach other people. Those things in your life that you consider to be bad, to be burdens, to be that thorn, are the things that God's going to use greater than anything else. So be steadfast during those trials. Next, verse 13 be sacrificial with your time, talents, and treasures. Look at verse 13 distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. The word distributing means to take an interest in, given to hospitality, is striving or seeking after loving the stranger. See, the sign of a healthy church is a friendly church. And the sign of a healthy Christian is a giving one. We have people in here that have given a lot, whether financially or time or whatever it is. There's people in here, we are a very generous church. We've had speakers say how, how amazed they are at the generosity of the church. And that's such a good thing, but let's not stop. Let's not get comfortable with where we are. Let's keep going. 1 Kings 17 tells the story of Elijah. He's in the desert, and God tells him, Go to Zarephath, and there, there a widow will take care of you. And he goes and he finds the widow, and she's picking up sticks. And he says, Hey, God wants me. Hey, I need you to take care of me. Give me some water, give me some bread. She says, I'll get you some water, but I just have enough for a small loaf for me and my son and then we're going to die. He said, go and make the loaf and God will take care of it. The Bible says that the lady was generous and sacrificial and God provided above and beyond what she had ever thought. She knew the consequences. She knew she was it was it was a dire situation. She didn't know the outcome of what's going to happen, but she gave willingly and God blessed abundantly. And that's the same with each and every one of us. We should give of our time, our talents, and our treasures because God's going to return it tenfold. Maybe not here, but one day when we get to heaven, it's going to be a great day. Be sacrificial. Whatever we have is merely an extension of God's grace. So why can't we give it back to him? Be sacrificial, be sympathetic to those in need. Be sympathetic to those in need. Verse 15, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. This is a command and we're commanded to show emotions and to care for those who need it. We're commanded to show empathy. That's hard in our world today. There's people in our world who hate God and despise the things we stand for, but we're commanded to show empathy and care for even them. John 1, 16 through 18 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us, love, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. person once said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You can say something all day long, but until you show it, it means nothing. Do it privately, do it, do it passionately, but be sympathetic to those in need. Next, be silent. This is a hard one. Be silent in your defense. You have conflict in your relationship, be silent in your defense. Look at verse 14. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Verse 17, recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Verse 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thy enemy drink, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. That term in verse 14, Bless them and curse not, refuse to stoop to their level. Refuse to stoop to the level of the person attacking you. Recompense no man means refuse to get even. How many of us when we're hurt, when we're damaged, we're talked about behind our back, what our first response is always, I'm going to get back at them. I'm going to show them. No one does that to me or my family. No one does that to me and my spouse. Refuse to get even. And if it be possible. Verse 18, if it be possible. As much as lieth in you. Live peaceably with all men. For those of you who have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, read it this way. Since it is possible, since Jesus lives in you. Live peaceably with all men. Deuteronomy 32, 35 is what he references. Therefore, er, Dearly brother, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place in wrath, wrath, for it is written, Deuteronomy 32, 35, is what he's referencing. To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity has hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. Stay in your lane, stay quiet. God's got your back. You don't know what will keep you out of conflict? Don't say a word. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of reliance on God. Be silent even when there are things that come against you. Let God fight your battles. We have better things to do. Exodus 14 is the children of Israel on the Red Sea. They come against the Red Sea and the children of Israel immediately start complaining. Saying, hey, we could have died in Egypt and have tombs and graves. Then we're going to die here and just wilt away on the, de- on, the, on the sand. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you this day. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. For the Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Hold your peace. God's got it. Our justice system should be influenced by what God says, not by what others do to us. Be silent in your offense. and lastly, and we'll be done, be striving to get along. Those of you who have been married for any length of time know that it doesn't happen overnight. It takes some work. You live with someone, there's, there's conflict, and there's problems, and It takes some work to get through. But it's worth the work. Verse 18, like it says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. In verse 21, be not overcome of evil. Stop being conquered of evil. But overcome evil with good. You want to get along with anyone? You've got to work for it. It doesn't come naturally. It only happens through effort and surrender. Victory only comes when we are surrendered and obedient to God's word. One final verse and we'll be done. We talked about this a few months ago. I did a series for Sunday school and Philippians one twenty seven says this. Only let your conversation, your lifestyle, your way of life, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Let that be a filter for your family. Hey, is what we're doing, is it becoming of the gospel? Is it leading people to the gospel? That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got a great church family. We love one another. We care for one another. We're generous. We're sacrificial. But we can always be better. So let's strive together. Let's take these rules. Let's take this chapter, Romans chapter 12, and apply it to our families, our our marriage, our work relationships, our church relationships. And let's strive together for the faith of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for everything you've given to us, Lord. God, we thank you for giving us relationships. Thank you for the people you've given to us in our life. God, as we conclude the service today, I pray if there's anyone here that, God, they, they don't have a relationship with you. They've never asked you as their Savior. I pray that today's the day they do it experience that restoration and that that forgiveness unlike any other relationship. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you're struggling with a relationship today, here's how you get it right. Number one, you confess it to God. Say, God, I've been struggling with my marriage. I've been struggling with my kids. I've been struggling the coworker, or someone even in this very room. God, I ask you, forgive me of that and help me move forward. The next step is a hard one, and it's going to them and saying, hey, I'm sorry. Hey, I want to work on this. I want to I get this back on track. I want us to be friends again. I want us to, I want us to be reconciled. And after that, you work on keeping that relationship the same way. If you're struggling, today's the day you can get it better. I invite you all to stand. I'm going to sing a song of invitation. I'm just going to sing one hymn, one verse, and it's 477 channels only.